0: good morning, church. Glad you're here on this wonderful, wonderful day. If you're a duck, you'd like to be outside. But since we're Baptists, this is the best place to be. Amen. I'm glad that you're here. I want to invite you this morning to uh, take your Bible. And I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been there for a few weeks, and we'll probably be there for a few more weeks as well. Hebrews chapter 11, for those that are guests today or perhaps been gone for a while, we're in a study of faith, real biblical faith. We, last week I tried to stress uh, biblical Christianity, and we're looking at it in the lives of different men of God uh, who followed the Lord, heard His voice, followed, and God did amazing things through. Let me tell you what I, I want to do this morning, okay? Um, I want to take a few moments. And I just want to talk to you about the the stress point that I feel in these messages. What I mean by that is, I feel like I I, I need to emphasize again to you what I really believe God has laid on my heart to lead me into a study of Hebrews chapter 11, okay? And, I, and the reason I want to do that, because I've I've talked about it over the last three or four weeks, and you're probably going to get tired of me uh, bringing it up again, but almost with every one of the characters that we look at, I want to emphasize to you what I believe God is stirring my heart about, that we must in today's culture, we must be true and understanding of what real, biblical Christianity is. And the reason I say that and say it like that is because I do not believe that's being taught in our churches today across our nation. That's why, beloved, our churches are in the shape that they are in. That's why when biblical statisticians get together and they begin to analyze churches and begin to analyze denominations and begin to analyze what's going on in churches today, you know what they're finding out? They're finding that there is no appreciable difference between those who call themselves Christians and those who say, I am not a Christian. We live the same way. We do the same things. Our marriages are in the same shape as non-believing marriages are in. And I think we need to ask ourselves, why is that? Why would some who claim faith in Jesus Christ, why would some who would say, I believe Christ died for me, shed his blood on a cross for me, but then when I live, there's no difference in my lifestyle than most of the people in our country. Why is that? Why are our marriages falling apart in the same percentage as non-believing? And I think it's because, and I'm just going to tell you what I think, okay? That in a cup of coffee, I mean a dollar a cup of coffee, right? I think we have a failed theology. I think, gang, our doctrine is suspect. I think that somehow we've not taken the truths of Scripture, lifted out the truths of Scriptures, and made application into lives of people, so we run at breakneck speed looking for a quick fix, looking for a, an ease to have what we want to have, And yet our lives are in turmoil. It's just a mad chaos. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And so here's my stress point. I started several weeks ago. Here it is, and it'll be with us for the next several weeks, okay? I want you to, if nothing else, I want you to get from this that faith, biblical faith, Christian faith must be focused externally on Christ, received by Christ, before it can ever be internally appropriated. You don't, and you've heard me say this, you don't work up faith through various religious exercises, and then when you have your act together, you trust Christ. It doesn't work that way. I've had people through the years that that have said, you know, preacher, I'm getting there. I, uh, I'm working at it. Me and God, or they'll say something like, me and the man upstairs, we're getting there. And ultimately, preacher, at some point, when I get my act together, then I'm going to trust Christ, and I'm going to be a God follower. Now, beloved, that's getting the cart before the horse. And it leads to emotionalism. It leads to feelings driving the card. And those who live by feeling-driven faith, somehow in their minds they say, I'm successful, God likes me or God approves of me or God smiles on me when there's something in my life that I can grab hold of, maybe success or wealth or health, and that's proof that I've gotten to the point in my faith life that God approves of me. Now, I don't want to be harsh to anybody, but listen to me carefully. That's the premise of Joel Olstein's ministry and others like him. May I bluntly say to you, that's Christian paganism. That's not even a right term together, is it? That's Christian idolatry. That's not a right term, but that's what it is. It's making God a pawn in our desires or our drive of desires. But that's not what we find in the Bible. That's not what we find, especially in the New Testament, and it's certainly not what we find in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible tells us, that God gives you faith in justification, then we appropriate faith in life as proof that we have it. In the midst of incredible challenges, even, yea, in the midst of sometimes incredible suffering, we live for Christ, we live out what He has deposited in our life as proof that we have it. And it's all screwed up today, gang. You've got to start with Christ. He's the giver. He's the depositor of righteousness. And when you have Christ, then as a proof of your life, you live out honor and glory to Him through Him working through you for His honor and glory. And so here's my statement, and then we'll go to our scripture. Sanctification. Leads to perseverance. Perseverance produces fruit, and fruit is proof you got it. Can I say that again to you? Sanctification. The process that God begins the moment He saves you. When you become a child of God, you become His responsibility. How many of you uh, mothers have produced kids? Okay, Now, when those babies were born, I imagine you ladies looked at that child. I know us daddies, and and listen, girls, it's a hard night for us to have to wait for all that, okay? Us guys looked at those babies. And I don't know, it's been a long time, but I can remember when Rhonda came out, and I can remember when, when Jeffrey came out. And I looked at that bundle of girl and that blubber of boy. I said, my stars. I'm responsible for them. I had never been responsible for anybody but me. And my wife would say, yeah, Tom, it's always been about you, you know. But all of a sudden, there was this girl. And a few years later, there was this boy. And I said, I can't do what I used to do and spend what I... I can't go golf all the time. Or I can't go fishing all the time. I'm actually going to have to get a job and work. You know why? Because they're my responsibility. And do you understand? I want you to understand that the moment that you were birthed by the Spirit of God into the kingdom of God. Do you know what your heavenly father said? The same thing that I said to my kids. That girl, that boy is my responsibility. And I'm going to take charge of that child. And I'm going to grow that child up the way I desire. That's called sanctification. We're in that process. And it will continue to the day we go to be with him sanctification builds in our lives perseverance and the only way you can learn perseverance is live through some of the trials and the challenges in life and from those trials there's something that's produced out and that's called fruit that's called proof let me let me give you a a different illustration then we'll go right to the scripture I uh, last Friday this past Friday I, uh, I went fly fishing and not fly catching fly fishing because when I go fishing I don't have to catch anything but according to the generation schedule from Greer's ferry they they said that the generators are going to kick in at nine o'clock so that told me that I had till about one o'clock to fish okay well I got up on the Little Red, about uh, seven, 6.30 or 7, got in the water a little before 7. And I noticed that, that the, the current was strong, and it was pushing me. And I thought, first of all, I should have known nobody else was in there but me, so that should have told me something. But after about 30 minutes or so, this incredible current kept pushing me, and I decided I needed to get out of there. And by the time I got to the shore... Man, I'm panicky, and I'm, I'm scared to death. I found out later that they started generating at 6 o'clock. And I, what I learned from that, applying to this, is that pressure strengthened me. It made me st- I had to stand against the pressure to not find myself floating down a river. Sanctification in our life is kind of like that current. It's pushing against us. God pushes us individually, depending on what He wants to do in our life, depending on who we are, our personality, our temperament. He pushes us against the flow. Because there's things in our life He wants to make out of our lives. And the only way to do that is by us learning perseverance. And through perseverance, there's fruit produced. And then God gets honor and glory it. Now, last week, last couple of weeks, we talked about Noah, didn't we? And we talked about Noah and faith working. Today, I want us to see what God says about Abraham, faith living, okay? Let's take our Bible, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. Let's stand in honor of God's Word, and let me kind of just share with you. I don't know if I'm going to get this out, okay? But i got to tell you. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. So here's the deal, church. If I mess it all up, Don's back from vacation, we'll let him come straighten it up next week, okay? But this is a wonderful passage. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance... And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why? For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God, Father, in these next few moments, I pray you'll give me clarity of my mind, clarity in my speech, so that I can share God's precious truth to the people that I deeply love, that I know that are going through trials and challenges, that in some ways may be hurting so very deeply. And we need to know what true biblical faith is that we see in the life of Noah and now today Abraham so that we can hold up under the stress of the currents of life so that we may honor you and glorify you. So help us today, Father, I pray, to get the goodie that's here. In Christ's name, amen. All right, gang, thanks for you see, to keep your Bible open. And I want you to notice this morning three things, okay? The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who, but the writer of Hebrews, in looking at Abraham in this text, is going to tell us two things about Abraham. He's going to tell us how he did what he did. And then he's going to tell us one thing. He's going to tell us why he did it. Now, let me remind you who he's writing to. He's writing to hurting, suffering Christians. He's trying to encourage them. So, it's good to know that when you're in a ditch, I've said this to you, when you're in a ditch, it's good to know others have been in the ditch before you. Others are in the ditch with you. You need to know How they did it, but more importantly, at the end, we're going to see why they did it. Why? How did they make it? That's why it's important. Look at verse 8. The first thing it tells us about Abraham is that faith listens. This is an incredible, amazing story of God's sovereignty, his right of call. Abraham was a pagan, living in the midst of spiritual darkness in a place called Ur the Chaldeans. Ur was located around the Euphrates River, which is now southern Iraq. He was an idolater. He was part of the social and the religious structure of his society. He wasn't looking for God. He had no desire for God. But the Bible tells us in several places, tells us here that God called him out. And called him out in that darkness. And somehow, according to the grace of God, he listened to God. And not only did he listen to God, he obeyed God. And he went out, not even knowing where he was going. God didn't give him a blueprint. God said, come, follow me. I will show you. And he did. And the Bible tells us, especially in the book of Galatians, He became the father of the faithful. Now, beloved, listen, it was an external call of God before it was an internal surrender to God, a surrender of obedience. And I want you to know that is what biblical Christianity is. It's about the sovereign grace of God. It has to be because there's nothing remotely in Abraham that would have ever commended him to God. God sought him out. God called him out. God regenerated his heart. God gave him faith in his spiritual darkness, and he responded. That's the way saving faith works. You know who the first Christian martyr was? Stephen, right? And we have a sermon by Stephen recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. I want you to take your Bible and turn there. We're probably going to throw it on the screen for you. But I want you to see what, what, uh, what Stephen says. Hold on, I'm getting there. Is it on the board? Look what Stephen says. Acts chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Now, this is Stephen. Hear me, brethren and fathers. Circle this phrase, the God of glory. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Said to him, Leave your country, your relatives. Come into the land that I will show you. And the Bible says, Then he left the land of the Chaldeans Settled in Haran, from there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. Did you notice the phrase, the God of glory? What does that mean? What does the God of glory, how does that happen? Or how does God do that? Well, let me ask you, how did it happen for you? Or has it happened to you? Let me tell you what happened to me. I was a lad of six, seven years old. I was at a church camp in Upper Washington State. Seven years old. I didn't know theology, game. I didn't know what the word redemption meant. I didn't know what the word ramps meant. All I knew was two preacher's boys from New Orleans Seminary. Glenn Saul from Texas. Wendy Burke from Jonesboro, Arkansas, came. And for about a week and a half, I think I told you the story one time, I was just a little bitty lad. I didn't even know enough to take a bath. I lived in the same clothes for a week and a half, came home with the same clothes I went with. My mama liked to freak out, you know. And I don't know what Glenn Saul preached that day. I don't know what Wendy Burke sang that day. But I'll tell you what I remember. And it says, fresh today at 63 as it was back when I was six or seven. What I know is that the glory of God grabbed my heart and changed my life. Like I said, I didn't know theology. What I knew was that something was really wrong inside of me. And at six or seven years old, God let me know something was wrong with me. God let me know that He alone had the cure. And when God... Touched my heart. When the glory of God grabbed my heart, I came running. That's what happened to Abraham. That's what happens to all that are called by grace. God calls. Supernaturally, He calls. We hear. Supernaturally, we hear. And we go out, even if we don't know where we are going. Faith always listens. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Faith listens. Are you hearing the voice of God? Hmm? Look at verse 8 and 9. Because faith also lives. This is incredible to me. Let's reread the passage. By faith Abraham, when he was called, Obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Fellow heirs of the same promise. Something major. Did you notice verse 8? The Bible says that he went out to a place that he would get as an inheritance. Verse 9 says he lived there as an alien which means sojourner. A non-resident, a non-citizen, living in tents. No, the, the, the emphasis here is no city, no house. He lived the life of a nomad, living in tents. So did his boy, so did his grandboy. And they did it based upon the promise of God. They didn't live on a place. They lived on a promise. They never got the land. He would be generations before that land would belong to his family. Yet faith propelled them forward. Faith gave them peace to live in the land. Do you know that the only land that Abraham ever owned, he had to buy so that he could bury his beloved Sarah? He had to buy his own land in the land of promise that God gave to him. That's what faith does, beloved. One of the commentators said, here's a man that lived in a camper, never had a house. It was a tent, no air conditioning, no running water, no flushing toilet. By the way, that's camping to my wife, you know. You flip a switch, you flush a commode, you turn on the air, that's as close to tent living as she's ever going to get, you know. But that's what faith did. You went out, you followed God, and you live your life in obedience to God. Faith lives on the promises. Faith possesses the promises. The flesh could never do that. The flesh is not equipped to go like that. It takes the Spirit of God dwelling inside of a person. It takes faith, not some feeling generated from within. It takes faith. That's deposited from without. Faith listens. Faith lives. And now we ask ourselves why. Look at verse 10. Why did he do that? And the Bible says that he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Faith listens. Faith lives. The beloved, listen, faith is always looking. Faith is always looking for God's best. And I have to tell you, I, I find myself as I get older more and more frustrated with preachers like the Joel Olsteins, who go around telling their people that your best life is now. Beloved, listen. Your best life is not now. Your best life is yet to be. Your best life is a city who has eternal foundations designed by Almighty God. If this is your best life now, you're lost. For the saved, this is the worst we've got. The best is yet to come. The best is what God has in store for us that we may not understand it all that I have not seen ear hath not heard and neither have entered into the heart of everything God's prepared but we know that God has something in store because the Bible promises it and we live on the promises of God I want you to notice something important in verse 10 look at verse 10 for just a moment he was looking for what what does it say what city the city, isn't it? That's a definite article. I remember English? The city. He was not looking for any city. He was not looking for one of many cities. Abraham was looking for one city, the city, the only city, the city of God, the one who's designer and builder is God alone. The city that was in God's mind, and the city that was built by God's hands. And you see, if you're a struggling believer like these folks were, maybe today you're struggling. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're heavy burdened. Maybe you're burdened with life, and you're suffering for your belief in Christ. Maybe you're even going through persecution. What would it mean to know that there's another city There's a celestial city waiting for us on that glorious day when we perhaps die and go to be with him or when he comes to capture us. Let me close with a story. How many of you guys have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Raise your hand. Okay. For those of you that haven't, you ought to. It's a classic. It was written by a guy in prison. And it's actually the story of of a pilgrim. His name is Christian. Christian. And it's an allegory of Christian on his way to the city of God. It's an amazing story about the struggles of the Christian life. Christian gets in trouble. I think his name could be Tom because he took some strange paths in his life. He, he got off the beaten path sometimes. And so he wanders off the path. He gets tempted by simple He gets tempted by sloth. He gets tempted by presumption. He has to navigate the hill of difficulty. And according to the story, he gets to a point where he's just about wiped out. And he comes to this place called House Beautiful. When he comes to House Beautiful, he stops and he rests, tries to recharge his battery, restocks for the next part of the journey. And before he heads out, he's told to be patient. Stop. Rest. Be patient. And he was told that before he begins his trek again, that he needs to walk up delectable mountains. And so he walks up delectable mountains. And when he gets to the top, he looks and he sees the celestial city. He sees the destination where he wants to go, that he longs for. And he begins to, and I'm reading a little bit into it, but he begins to realize that the journey is fraught with dangers, that the journey sometimes is hard. And sometimes you do want to quit like these readers, and you want to chunk it and go back. But he's seen the city, and he realizes it's not so much the journey it's the destination that's really important. Now, I think there's joy in the journey at times. I think there's challenges in the journey at times. But it's not the journey, gang. It's the destination. So he comes down off a delectable mountain, and he starts again, and he has his challenges. He's got to deal with a Apollyon. He's persecuted in the valley of uh, the town of Vanity Fair. He barely escapes the valley of the shadow of death. But there's something different. There's a difference now. He's seen the city. He's seen that this city is built by and made by Almighty God. He's seen that the city has eternal foundation. And it's that city that propels him forward. And I want to say to you that's true of all who have come to faith through Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of the cross. God has promised. We may not have it yet. Abraham never got it. Jacob never got it. Isaac never got it. But there was a promise that propelled them forward. They saw through their spiritual life that wonderful celestial city. And, beloved, I want you to know all who are in Christ have that city waiting for them one day. As I was studying this passage, and I was thinking about that wonderful allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, I said to myself, God, sometimes it's hard. Would you agree? Sometimes there's not enough time. Sometimes there's not enough money. Hello? Sometimes there's not enough health. Sometimes there's not enough. A lot of encouragement. Sometimes you just feel like throwing in the towel. What keeps us going? The Bible says there's a city called the city of God. And it's for all those by faith believe in Jesus Christ, who has deposited himself and his righteousness into their heart. And I remember in my prayer saying, Dear God, that's enough. The journey's tough sometimes. The destination is worthy. Whatever it takes, the celestial city beckons me on. Just like Christian went out because he had seen the city, so do all who know Jesus Christ personally. Well, let me draw it all together. What what have we learned? Well, here's what I hope you've learned. Number one, faith hears the voice of God and obeys. The proof of your faith is in your obedience. Faith hears the voice and obeys. Faith waits on the promises and perseveres, where it means to patiently endure. Faith waits on the promises. Faith expects the very best of God. And sometimes it's so radical and sometimes it's so hard the mind can barely get you to fathom it, that other city, that other place. But it's there for the child of God who by faith has received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, faith looks. Faith listens. Faith longs for God's best. Let's pray. In a moment, Stu will be here. And maybe God has spoken to your heart, maybe there's something in your life that you're battling with, that you're struggling through. Maybe you've forgotten that it's really not about the journey at all. It's about the destination that's coming. And knowing there's that great destination, give strength, even joy, in the journey. Father, in Jesus' name, these moments we give to you. Maybe someone's struggling. Maybe someone's hurting. Maybe through the life of Abraham. Lord, we can encourage someone in the journey. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together.